0: People have died fighting for freedom. People have killed fighting for freedom. People have risked more than themselves. They've risked their families, their children even, in order to escape tyranny and get closer to freedom. But when you boil it all down, freedom ultimately is a feeling. Either you feel free or you don't. I challenge you to... Take a few minutes out of your day and think back to those times in your life when you felt the most free. For myself, I'm drawn to childhood memories, and it's an extraordinary thing when you think about it because when you're a child, you have a lot of limits placed on you. In a lot of ways, you're less free as a child than you are as an adult, not only because of the limits but also because you have a lot fewer options available to you. Why is it then that we would think of childhood times as being the most free? Well, there's a simple answer to that question, and that is our perception. We felt free because we thought we were free, even though that perception may not have been entirely accurate. So that's an interesting thing because you wonder, is that something that we outgrew at a certain age, or is it still with us? And the answer to that has to be, of course it's still with us. We grow, evolve over time, we learn new things, we build a more accurate map of the world around us. It starts out as a small map, and it grows, and grows, and grows. But at no point is that map ever going to be 100% perfect, The question has to be, are we truly free, or do we just think we are? As kind of a thought exercise, I want you to imagine, if you will, that you were born into a zoo, and you were born in a small enclosure, and you spent your early years in that small enclosure, and then one day you get released into a larger enclosure. It's not that confining cage. It's got a lot more room. It's got more interesting things in it to keep you entertained. But as you explore it and as you learn that environment, you realize that you're still in a cage, but it's a much larger one. That initial experience, that initial experience of going from the small cage to the larger cage, you're going to feel like, oh, this is so good, I'm free. But the truth is, you don't have freedom, you have the illusion of freedom. You're listening to episode one of the This Light Shines podcast, Freedom and You. We're going to take a look at the things that feed our emotional sense of freedom. What is that built up from? Where does it come from? How do we navigate that space? And this brings us to an aspect of freedom that I like to describe as the difference between your self-expression, that energy that's coming from inside of you that pushes out into the world versus the energies that come from outside of you that push in on you. And in the English language, we actually make a distinction between those two. We have freedom, we have liberty. So let's take a closer look at the differences between freedom and liberty. Now, my favorite way to illustrate the difference between freedom and liberty is to imagine the following. So, we have a ship pulling into port, and... When that ship docks, the captain, if he so chooses, can grant crew members liberty, and they're free to go ashore and do whatever they please. But as that ship is pulling into port, if a crew member decides to jump the railing, dive in the water, swim to shore, stand up on his feet, and give the captain a one-finger salute, that's freedom. Can you see a difference? I certainly see one you see freedom comes from inside it's your will pushing out into the world whereas liberty is something granted by an authority figure I know that there's people out there saying yeah but we need rules no, we need rules we need regulations or uh, everything's gonna be chaos it's gonna be a mess things are gonna fall apart and that the limits that are inherent with liberty are required. And what this brings us to is the compassionate view of freedom versus the narcissistic view of freedom. Freedom is very much that energy that emanates from inside of us, and how we choose to guide that energy makes a huge difference. And this is key when we look at what I like to call the narcissistic versus the compassionate view of freedom. I can sum up the difference between those two with another simple example. Suppose you're walking down a city street. It's not too crowded, but there's people around and you notice the person in front of you drop something. You get a little bit closer, and you realize, hey, it's like a wad of fifty-dollar bills. So what do you do? Now, the narcissist, of course, is going to is going to pick up that money, gonna stick it in his pocket, and he's going to act like nothing happened. But in the compassion of you, you're going to say, hey, excuse me, you dropped something, and you might even pick it up and hand it to him. And we could take this example even a little bit further. So, suppose you're walking down that city street again, and you see a a classic Corvette. It's convertible, and the keys are in the ignition, and there's nobody around. Now, in the narcissistic view, they're going to see that as an opportunity. It's like, "Uh, I think I'll take this for a test drive, at the very least. uh, That's what they would be looking at. In the compassionate view of freedom, we understand and respect that other people have their freedoms and their rights. We have that outlook that if we live in an environment, in in a community, a society where people respect each other's rights, respect each other's freedoms, then everything seems to flow just so much better. And when we flip that around and consider a society where it's more of a dog-eat-dog, or shark-eat-shark mentality, that's not an environment that leads to beautiful things. That's an environment that leads to all manners of conflict and instability, and that's not an environment where anyone's freedom ever really prospers. But again, this is something I consider to be a dimension, and we could put the narcissist at one extreme, and we put altruism at the other extreme. Yet there's a whole range in between. When you get down to the things that are not over the top and you start to get down to the gray areas, you could think of it more as giving or taking. In a sense, it's like you're giving or taking material or energy or time. And we trade these things in life. We do favors for each other, we make agreements, and let's face it, taking isn't bad when it's done fairly, and giving isn't bad when it's done freely uh, of your own will. The point here is balance. We want balance in our lives, and those exchanges you'll discover you have everywhere in life. You can think of it as currency, the currency of life and that paper or electronic currency that we mess around with that actually follows from this more fundamental currency. We can look at freedom as being encompassed by this zone, this this line on the map as I call it, where our energies push up against external forces and there's like a line there. So let's take a closer look at that line of distinction, because this isn't the Great Wall of China. It's not the Berlin Wall. It's it's not this impervious boundary. You could think of it as being more like the wall of a cell in your body. There's all kinds of interactions and interplay. For example, in the cell, you've got nutrients coming in, you've got products going out. And kind of along the same lines in that dividing line that we can see in our mind around us. We have things coming in and things going out. For example, if you're working at a job, well, you're putting out your time and energy and you're getting back money. So you can think of that as being one of the transactions that happen across this dividing line. One of the things that freedom allows us to do is to shift that dividing line around if we're in a job that doesn't pay enough or gives you too much stress you can find another job the point here is we can shift it around and at the very least look for a better environment what underlying mechanisms are there that guide our decision making in this manner And one of the things that I see in life, in many different areas of life, is we trade freedom for security. Perhaps the simplest way to look at this is when we luck into a good situation and we want to keep it steady, then we don't rock the boat too much. We keep it stable because it's a positive thing for us on the other hand, when we're in a negative situation, we might rock that boat or open up to completely different options and move on. While it's fairly straightforward to see how this dynamic works, say in employment in the workplace, this also happens in our personal lives. Consider your closer relations, consider your love relationships even. That same dynamic is in play there. If you're in a positive relationship that you want to keep steady, then you give up that freedom of getting around with different people. But you do so willingly. You do so because it benefits you. You've got a good situation, and you don't want to rock the boat or sink the boat. And so in those situations of you're in a job that you're happy with, you're with a partner that you're happy with, you can see that what we're doing is we're trading freedom for security and there's an actual genuine positive benefit for us for doing so but on the other hand the same dynamic comes into play in manners that can be negative this occurs when we're confronted with a coercive force that says you're going to be punished if you don't do this suppose somebody threatens to beat you up if you don't give them your lunch money. Now, if you should choose to give up that lunch money so you don't get beat up, then what you're doing is you're trading freedom for security. It's that same dynamic, but kind of inverted. And well, I'm, I'm sure there's people out there saying, well, it's a bully. you got to fight the bully. Uh, Suppose you're walking down the street, somebody pulls a gun on you and says, hand over your wallet or you're dead. You might consider that losing a few hundred or a few thousand dollars is a worthwhile deal in that situation, and that fighting the bully in that situation would actually be a foolish thing to do. The same dynamic can be encountered with organized powers. Let's say governments or financial institutions In some areas of the world, the government is overly coercive and severely limits people's freedom, whether it's freedom of movement, freedom of speech, you name it. It's been done. And the one constant you see here is the use of coercive force to get people to comply with things that, in the absence of that coercion, they would not agree to. And that's One constant that you'll see throughout history, it doesn't matter what the philosophy is behind it, It doesn't matter if it's communism or fascism, they both have this in common. It's the same cake with different icing. That's all there is to it. The key point here is that we trade freedom for security, and we do this instinctively. But Whether we're confronted with a positive force or a negative force is something we really need to take into consideration here. Because when we trade freedom for security in front of a coercive negative force, then we end up losing. But when we trade freedom for security for a positive force, then we end up benefiting. Now, enough said about that. There's another aspect to this kind of deal-making that we do along this dividing line between our energy going out and other energies coming in. And this is the difference between an explicit contract, an explicit spoken contract, and an implicit one. Because many of these dividing lines, many of these mutual understandings or mutual misunderstandings, of where I end and and you begin, many of them are never explicitly stated. They're implied. They're part of the cultural norms that that we grow up with in society, and we just kind of take it for granted. So long as everybody comes to the table with the same set of expectations, uh, that can work. That can work just fine. But when you start mixing cultures, then... What that does is it flushes out these kind of, often subconscious, learned, but never really thought about presumptions we make about how we communicate and how we interact with other people. And if you've ever had the opportunity to immerse yourself in a different culture, you could very well encounter something referred to as culture shock and this is what happens when all those assumed rules that you grew up with that some of them or many of them no longer apply now it's suddenly different it's different and you have to learn and adapt and reach down into that deeper self and shift yourself around and this is happening in, in ways that you never expected. It can be a challenging experience. I've had the opportunity to go through that myself. And all I can say for it is you're better off for the experience of sticking it out and getting through to the other side because you'll learn a lot more about yourself and you'll learn a lot more about not just the culture that you went to, but the one you came from. It's all part of growing, evolving, learning and building out that internal map that we have of the world to bring more to the surface. And that only makes you smarter. That only makes you stronger. You've been listening to episode one of the This Light Shines podcast. In part two, we're going to be taking a closer look at the importance of novelty, the importance of Bringing unique and different things into our lives. We're also going to be looking at communication and how communication plays a key role when conflicts or differences arise between us and those outside powers. We're going to be taking a look at the warning signs of an abusive relationship, and we're also going to be finishing up with one of the most important things that impact our freedom, and that is our self-imposed limits, and how we can overcome those. If you enjoy our podcast, if you get something out of it, support us. Tap on that heart icon on your podcast player, or click on the support link in the show notes. You can find all of our content at thislightshines.net. Thank you for listening. God bless.